Welcome, everybody. It's another Hollywood Godfather podcast. Now, this podcast is the first show, the one we're recording now, starting February and March, and we'll be talking a lot about the Godfather, my past, bringing certain friends on, celebrities and whatever. And tonight, I'm, I'm thrilled to have this guy because I met him as a kid before he was even in show business, before he became a celebrity. And I feel like I was maybe a mentor, I don't know. His father and mother probably wanted to get him away from me right away. But I want to introduce a very good friend of mine for over 50 years, George Pecoraro. George, welcome, my man. Thank you for being there. Johnny, first of all, thank you very, very much for having me on your wonderful, wonderful show. Pat, nice to meet you as well. I'm here. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too. So give give our audience, if you would, an overview of how we met. Oh, my God. This is going to be like a sliver of a sliver. Uh, Gianni and I, well, Johnny was living in Las Vegas. And I, uh, with my family, we had just moved to Las Vegas from Hollywood, Pembroke Pines, Florida. And I went on a, on a beautiful winter day. I was taking a walk a few a few blocks, about three blocks away from my house in the same development. And I see a cool looking guy. I'm 17. And I see somebody in a, a like a, a, a beautiful winter coat, certainly one that you, you can't work with. And he was stuccoing his block wall in this lamb's wool thousand dollar coat and this is 1973 and he had like shoes on with the crest and he's stuck I mean a black wall and I go wow those those shoes like Dean Martin used to wear those kind of shoes and I looked to the left just that he pushed the button the door went open and the most beautiful beautiful gorgeous Bentley like a like a brown colored with a mohawk uh, rug opened up and the most, the most beautiful silver sh- I think it was like a was it a Gianni was it silver shadow or just a Bentley it was just a Bentley wasn't it yeah it was silver Not shadow shot, it was yeah but uh, yeah and I was walking by and I said that's a beautiful car and he says oh yeah you want to see it I mean just that quick I mean just that quick he walks me into the garage I'm sitting in the front of the car I took my shoes off because the carpet was about six inches high beautiful mo- <laughs> mohair I think it was and they had the wood in the back. And we started talking. And he says, you live around here? Yeah. I said, we live from my father. We just moved here from Florida. And he says, I'm, you know, after about 10 minutes of talking, he's, he handed me a, a 45 record. He says, it's for Christmas. Take this and play it. It was, it was a Christmas song. He, 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 a Christmas of time forgiving. <laughs> Christmas of the time. I still have it. That's wild. And, um, and he says, what are you doing Sunday? I said, nothing. Why? He goes, well, I'm having my my normal dinner party every Sunday and where I make the sauce and with the pepperoni and the, and the pasta. And the, he, he and he does it himself. And every Sunday he would have the biggest stars, whoever was headlining in Las Vegas. He'd have it early, like about two in the afternoon, more or less. And it would be like a four or five hour meal with conversation. And he would have it early. That way, the stars who were performing on the strip could stop by and hang out and have some wine and have some pasta. And it was about converse. It was about family and conversation and good times. And I, and we did that for years and years and years. Remember? Oh, I know, man. It was, it was a great time. And I liked doing that. And he was such a nice kid. And basically, I mean, he, you met a lot of people, a lot of them that you represented later on in life, which was funny. Most of the people I met at your house, I want to, in fact, I met David Brenner there. Right, and there's striking up a conversation with David Brenner. He says, "You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I was 17, and Gianni, I believe, was about 30. So no. he was just 31. Was I? I thought it was earlier. 
maybe a little, maybe 29. But we, Gianni, you were very young, and I was. Yeah, I was in I my was, 20s because it was right after the Godfather. You were in your 20s. Yeah. But you didn't, you never treated me like a kid. You treated me like an adult. And I never thought of myself as a younger person. I, yeah. I always thought I was an old person. So I met David Brenner and he said, uh, I'm thinking about having a, a new road manager. I think you'd be perfect. Would you like to do it? So I said, I would love to do it. So about a month later, I go back to Gianni's house. We have dinner. And then uh, David Brenner serving as George. I, I have to let you so know something. I, I can't give you the job, but you didn't lose it. I said, well, How's that? Huh? And he said, <laughs> well, my brother, who was a teacher, lost his job. And so I have to give it to my brother. So <laughs> being I have to give it to the family, I don't consider that you losing the, the, the job because I don't have a choice. And and it, and it started from there. So you can ask me any I, I, the progression or where, wherever you want to go, I'll go. Oh, no. I mean, I'm just our audience. As I said, what what we're doing it's just chronologically because of the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. And that I remember because this was soon after because my daughter was only a year old, a, a, a two years old, Gia. Yes, she was a young, young girl. Yeah. And, and, and uh, what, what happened pretty quickly after meeting all these stars, those were the days when you could call an entertainment director and they would actually call you back or pick up the phone. So I remember I met... Uh, Maury Amsterdam at the Sahara. He was doing a private show. And we just started talking. And I said, well, he says, do you live in town? I said, yeah. He says, well, you know, I could use some more gigs in town. And I called the hotel. And they said, okay, we'll take Maury. I go, okay, that was pretty interesting. That was pretty easy. And then from from there, I went to like Henny Youngman and Foster Brooks and Donnie and Marie and Red Buttons, and Jack Jones, and Jack Carter, and Alan King, and on and on and on and on. I worked with Sammy Davis, and I pretty much, uh, Danny Thomas, and uh, just, just that whole era. I was the, I was, I was, I was 20 years old when I started that end of the business, and I was working primarily with people 30 and 40 years older than me. So and I, when I would meet some of these performers, I, they would see me and they would hand me their bags and they would they say, here you go, kid. I'm looking for this George Pecoraro. And guys like Jack Carter and Foster Brooks would say, you can't be. Why do you even know who I am? Because I like Alan King and people said, George, I'm like a husband. Why do you know me? You should be, you know, hanging out with the rock bands and stuff. I said, that's not what I'm into. I go all the people on the Dean Martin show and the Tonight Show. That's what I identify with there. They always look cool. Like Gianni always, always looks fabulous. Always in a tux or a beautiful three-piece suit with the, with a pocket handkerchief, and 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 the performers I fell in love with. What I fell in love with mostly is they were always they were on Carson, they were on Merv Griffin, they were on Mike Douglas, they were on the D Martin show. But they always dressed great. They always got the beautiful girl. Well, that, that's when everything. That's when the era, you know, talking about times of change when nobody, even the celebrities, don't dress anymore. It's amazing. No. It's, and I'm, I'm still wearing, you know, I meet people and they say, where are you going? Said, what do you mean, where are you going? How come you're so dressed? I, said, I dress all the time. It's, it's, Look at this, I'm in my house. I dress like this. My wife goes, why are you dressed up in the house? I said, because, because I like watching the soap operas. If you watch the soap operas, they got they got suits and ties with handkerchiefs in it, and they're in the family room. They're not going anywhere. They, they, they just dress the dress. No, it's so funny, I mean. I, I, it, it just, it's just great. And I wound up working with people like, my uh, Doc Severinsen with Ed McMahon. I used to put them together as a package. I would team Maury Amsterdam with Rosemary and put that as a package. And I, I wanted to do almost all the big stars in that era. And then I, at, at that time, I, I started working in films a little bit. And I, the first one I worked on, nothing important, but it was the, uh, as the Charlie's Angels, the third season, the first and second episode, Dean Martin was in it. Wow. And I got to meet the director. And I said, I have to be in the scenes with Dean Martin. He goes, what do you mean you have to be in the season? I said, it, it means a lot to me. I go, you don't have to pay me. I don't care about pay. And he says, well, wait over here for a minute. So I waited a couple of minutes. And, he, and about an hour and a half later, he says, you're still here. I said, well, you told me to wait. He goes, what do you want? I said, I want to be in the scenes with Dean Martin in the casino scenes. He says, okay, I'll, I'm going to request you. And he requested, he called the casting agent for extras. That's all I was. And he said, I want to request this guy, George Pecoraro, to be in the scenes with Dean Martin. So they did that. In that episode with Charlie's Angels with Dean Martin was the first time Robert Urich 
was making a cameo because he was starting another series, his another series with Aaron Spelling called Vegas. So that same casting director said, would you like to start being you did this? And they, or they requested you. Would you like to be in Vegas episodes maybe two, three times a week? So I said, I would love to. And went from that, then I heard that Paul Lanka, I snuck into Paul Lanka's rehearsal at Caesar's Palace. And I met his conductor, uh, Frank Leone. And I said, do you ever use any backup singers? He says, as a matter of fact, we're gonna we're gonna audition for some backup singers across from UNLV in a couple of days. He says, we'll sing something. And I, I said, right now? And he said, yeah, I got the piano, we're on stage, just sing something. So I sang the song Anytime by Paul Anka and he kept looking over, he goes, well, you sound a little like Paul Anka. Come on down to the, the rehearsal, I mean, to the audition. And he gave me that job. So I was doing- I, like didn't, I didn't even know this about you. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my mouth open. Yeah, it, so I, I I wound up doing, I, I back up for Paul Anka for three engagements at Caesar's Palace. What, what year was this? Probably around 77, 78. Wow. I, I didn't and know I, that. I didn't have any experience. I just walked on and I I didn't know that I didn't know. You know, it's it's it's, so I did that. I did some films. Then I started emceeing some shows at the Tropicana in the Fountain Theater with Fred Travelina. I was like the Ed McMahon and he was like the Carson. So I was hosting, I was modeling a little bit for the Sahara and the Hacienda for their billboards. I was doing, I'm not bragging, it was just a lot of little stuff. I was trying to feeling my way around. So, figuring what the so why did you go into management? Is more yeah, steady? Yeah, I, I didn't know. <laughs> then Jerry Lewis met me. Then Jerry Lewis and he says, George, because I used to work at the Sahara Country Club for a little while. I got the job there only because Jerry Lewis went there and I was a big Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis fan. So I got to know Jerry real well, real well. And he says, George, you can make it as an actor. And I thought to myself. No, wait a minute. I want well, to ask you a question. How well did you know Jerry Lewis? Uh, enough to know wherever you're going. I know. The, I, I mean, know. Talk about a creep. I, what a creep this guy is, was. I mean, I can't believe. But on camera, but on camera with Dean Martin, he was great. Oh yeah, no. Right. I mean, I when I was making so much money, then I had jewelry stores, I had wig salon, I had all kinds of businesses in Vegas. And like a fool, Pat, you're going to love this story. Yeah. I went on with my ego, and I matched the money for one hour. And it was a lot of money, oh like God. twenty yeah. or thirty thousand yeah. dollars. So the somebody told me, he said, "What are you doing?" He says, uh, it's from muscular district. He says, you know, he, his brother-in-law and them, they run the whole thing. They take a big piece of this. I said, are you kidding me? So I never I never made the pledge. So Jerry is a, not a nice guy. So I, he wanted to talk to me. I said, Jerry, I don't think you really want to talk to me. And I ripped into him at Chasen's in Beverly Hills. I said, you want me to give you my money and you're taking 30, 37% of this money? That's why you're crying at the end of the show each year. <laughs> because you didn't make enough money. You're up for 42 hours or whatever it is. I couldn't believe he got away with it that long. And that's why muscular dystrophy never even brought it up. They were so embarrassed when they really found out. I don't know how they found out. But do you know anything about that, George? I don't know anything about that. But I know there, there's. I, I I believe there was a story that Jerry said that there's a lot of terrible things that have been said about me, and most of them are true. That's Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> and he said that. He well, said, "Well, it was true." He, he just Jerry talked to his be, kids. <laughs> Jerry, could the, Jerry could be the nicest person you ever met, but that's not really Jerry. He wasn't. Com he was more comfortable being the other guy. I don't want to. I don't want to bash him, um, but. And then I started working. I got a big offer one time. I always wanted to do something with Johnny Carson. And I get a hold. Of, you had Bushkin on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Henry Bushkin. Yeah, he's a good man. So uh, about 10 dot-com guys call me. And they say, well, this is after Carson already left the, the Tonight Show. And he says, Joe, all we want to do, it was for six figures, well into the six figures. All they wanted to do was meet Johnny Carson in Malibu or Beverly Hills. And, and just have dinner with him or a lunch and just take one picture each with him, these 10 guys, for one hour. Would never one happen. Hour. So I call Bushkin and I go, 
And Mr. Bushkin, my name is George Pecoraro. I have a substantial, substantial offer, very well into the six figures. Just for Mr. Carson, just to have lunch with these 10 dot com. They love them. They just they just want to say hi to them, have a little lunch and take one picture eat. Well, very quickly, he said, George, it's not going to happen. And Jeez. he was not talking. No, I and, mean, I, I, I knew Johnny well. And, and, and uh, money didn't mean nothing to him. And he's and an introvert. He wanted to yeah, meet nobody. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. It, Do you it believe that, Pat? I've, I've, I've often heard that. But they, you know, they also said the Marlon Brando was an introvert. And you got $25,000 to sit down to dinner with. Oh, yeah. Was, no, but no, I mean, but you know, Marlon was not. A, Marlon, Marlon liked to play gimmick. You know, he loved goofing on people. And that was with John Kluge. But Johnny is totally different. I mean, Johnny gets off stage. He's a different guy. Oh, yeah. I met him one time, and he was one of the most uncomfortable persons I ever met in his own skin. But progressing on that story, so they umped it up, they bumped it up, they kept bumping it up. By the third time, I called Bushkin, and I said, look, I'm not making another offer. You were very clear to me. But they just offered me this amount of money, an insane amount of money. I go, and they already bank-to-bank wired me the money, so I could send it right to you to show that it's real. I, I, I wasn't going to do anything until these guys proved they were real. I wasn't going to call Henry Bushkin with, with no money. I had to make sure it was real because it wasn't a corporation. It became real. And then at the third time I said to Bushkin, I said, I'm, I'm not making you an offer because you were clear, but I said I did turn down this fee. And then he warmed up. He says, George, if you're going to pay somebody that kind of insane money, Shouldn't that person at least want to be there? Johnny wouldn't. He's going to feel like you're trying to take his time. and his, He's not a personable guy that way. Oh, I know. I go, I'll never bother you again. So then I started thinking. I said, what's the closest I can get to a Johnny Carson reunion? I go, I know Ed McMahon. I know Doc Severinsen. I know Doc wants to come back to work Vegas. He hasn't worked Vegas in a long time. I'm going to call Ed. Ed very quickly said, I'll do it. I'll call Doc. I said, no, please don't call Doc. Let me call William Morris first, lock up the deal, then call Doc and do whatever you want. So I call William Morris and I get a hold of his his agent. And I said, um, it's George Pecoraro. I've done a few deals with them. I said, I have, I have a great offer for Doc. And I offered him more money than he normally made on the strip. And he hadn't been, been, been there in a while and he wanted to date. He wanted to come back to Vegas. So right away, quickly, they said, George, it's not going to happen. I said, oh, my God, this is like talking to Carson again. <laughs> I go, why is it going to happen? And he goes, well, we don't want to tell you. They just, just let it go. I said, I don't want to let it go. I, I went back to the hotel. I got more money for, for Doc Severinsen. So they wanted to do Doc and Ed together. They had never worked together ever other than The Tonight Show. So I thought this would be a coup. But my my the reason I was doing this, I thought maybe Johnny Carson would come in and fly in to see the show, sit in the back booth, and maybe – I put that together. So anyway, to make a long story short, I upped the money, upped the money. They kept on saying, you know, I said, I'm not letting it go till you tell me why can't I get this done? I go, Ed's dying to get it done. And everybody was telling me, what's Ed going to do? I said, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do it better than anybody else. That's what Ed does. So they said, they said, George, all right, we're going to tell you. And then let it go. I said, well, at least give me the respect of letting me know why you're turning down more money than Doc normally makes. He says, because I'll put this in a nice way. Ed doesn't like, uh, uh, Doc Severson does not like Ed. And I cleaned that up. <laughs> wow. And what it was, I think Doc was jealous of Ed because Doc had to rehearse the orchestra every day. He had to play for all the commercials. He had to back up all the acts. He had to rehearse and practice. And, or, and Ed would just have to show up a little with a little bit before the show, we sit on the dais and just laugh and have a good time. He didn't have to have he didn't really do whatever he did was unique to himself, but he had a good time. He was sitting on the couch. Doc had to practice and rehearse and practice and practice audition, you know, practice back up the acts with their Oh no, I mean they had a lot of work. No, musical director is a lot different than oh, me yeah. sitting there on a couch. Oh yeah. Nothing. So and the, and Ed is just sitting there laughing, enjoying himself to make a to finish this. I finally got it done. I said, you could do this, but Ed can't do this. You can't do this. You can't show clips of cars. You can't do it. So what did Ed do? Ed went out there and he sang six songs. It was Doc Severinsen and the Tonight Show band with Ed McMahon, uh, both headlining Billy, but Doc on top. Singing? And Ed, about 30 minutes. 
and Doc did about an hour and a half, and and Doc was amazing. So after after the show, I, we did it for four nights at the Orleans Hotel in the main showroom. The only time they ever worked together. So I would go have dinner one night with Ed, and then have a dinner one night with Doc, then dinner one night with Ed. The last night we went to a place called the Tillerman. I know you know where it is. Oh, I know well, yeah. And I took Doc out, and I said, "Now, now that you did it, now that it's all over." What do you think? How was it? Would you do it again? And he says, George, I give you a lot of credit. If you didn't push so hard, this never would have happened. I said, would you do it again if I ever got it? Because if you put it together, I do it again. Then he paused and he said, but he's still a putz. But that's just a typical. I, I, I put a lot of things like that together. Most of them are all old school. I'm still working with people right now like uh, Smokey Robinson, Paul Anka, Ringo Starr, Johnny Mathis. Uh, I, I do primarily the older, uh, what's left of the older acts. Gianni is like one of the younger ones I work with. But I still <laughs> yeah. work with everyone too. <laughs> he is. He re- you really are. You know, it's interesting because uh, Pat is, was working with Ed McMahon's daughter yeah. on a book. Tell him, Pat. Yeah. Uh, this this I found hard to believe. I get a call from my agent. He says, what I'm going to give you now, because he, he, he connects me with people that one books that don't write. I'm the collaborator. All right. So he said, I'm going to give you this. This is going to be a smash, going to be a great success. So what is, he says, Ed McMahon's daughter wants to write a memoir. I said, well, what's she ever done? And then he lays it out. What she went through as his daughter was horrendous. He, uh, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with any of this, George. No, I, I'm not. I, he was very, very nice to me and always has been. No, Ed McMahon was was like when people tell me, you know, you had a great father. I said, I wish I knew him. Yeah. (laughs) She was put in uh, uh, what they now call boot camps for incorrigible kids. She was just a normal kid that got herself in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I I don't want to give you the backstory, but uh, this was with his third wife. He didn't want any more kids, and he he relented. She couldn't get pregnant. They adopted this this little girl, and he resented her. But she went through literally hell. She wound up as a teenager living in South Central L.A. in a car. Ed would not take her back. Uh, he was in these schools for seven years, in the in in the woods, going from state to state, and uh, he was just uh, so cruel to her. On her 18th birthday. He said, okay, you can come home. And she was so happy. Daddy loves me. I'm so glad. You know, she comes to find out that he took her back because at 18, he no longer has to pay child support. Oh, my God. So he never had to pay child support while she was in these camps, which was $6,000 a month versus $50,000, which he'd have to pay in child support. But wow. anyway, uh, he was, she was the only one who took care of him at the end. That's, he was that's bro- sad. And, you know, Ed made a lot of money with Chris Craft oh, and commercials. He made a fortune, but he died with nothing. Broke. Broke. He had nothing. But no, but I tell you, all, all the money he made, he was broke all the time. That I know. Well, he, when he died, he, he died. When he was in the hospital, uh, he had a couple of days to go. His kids were there fighting over his Rolex. And he heard all this. He couldn't speak, but he heard all this. He realized uh, how much this adopted kid meant to him. And he had... His last five thousand dollars, he left to her in his will. Oh my! That God. was it. She got the five thousand dollars. Was nothing compared of to course kind of, not. He made insane amounts of. But he lived very, very high. And he even told me, he says, George, I never watched the money. If I wanted to oh, do no something, I wanted private jets, this, this, this. He didn't have his eye on any of it. He just. And when he got old, I guess he. I didn't see it, but it was a sad ending. But. I, I, I yeah. want to. I really wound up working. Thank God, I was very fortunate. Uh, I uh, with uh, over well over five hundred major stars for, for years and years and years and years. I'm still doing it. I, I just did Marie Osmond the show Saturday night <laughs> at Niagara Falls. I'm glad you cleaned yeah. that up. Good thing you qualified that. Yeah, yeah I better. And, yeah. But it was Saturday night. But do you still it enjoy so it, especially during COVID? I mean, you want to know something? If I love it. It's what it's 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 what I do. I don't know how to not do it. I'm bro- the best way I could put it is that I'm broken and I can't be fixed. I don't know how to not work. I, I love the action. I love the deal. I love the stage. I love 
the dressing up. I like the tuxedos. I like the gourmet rooms. I like the rehearsals. I like the, I love flying. I like hotels. I like having dinner with the acts after having a nice cocktail and conversation. So you better and get friendly with some new acts before you, they all die well, off. I, have, I just yeah. did. <laughs> I just did. Vanilla Ice and Bobby Brown. Together. That's a new that, act? Yeah, that's like, I mean, I just did that. I'm working with Terry Bradshaw next month. Uh, he has a show, and it's just Terry Bradshaw. It's him being him. He's got a band with, like, backup dancers and singers. So I'm working with that. Where and are I, you I, booking I, these people? Supply. Huh? Where are you booking this people, these people? All around the people. I just booked, last week, I just booked Priscilla Presley. She's doing an evening with Priscilla Presley. First time that the name Presley will be on a marquee since he died, which is also, I think, about 50 years or close to it. 77. Work in Vegas for me. She's going to be three nights. An evening with Priscilla Presley is going to be video clips, stories, conversation, Q&A. Where did you, you sell that to who? Let me hear that. Who bought that show? The South Point. Michael Gone. Oh, I like Michael. Michael's a good businessman, man. Well, it's a, it's a very intimate room. It seats about four, 470. And, you know, they put a lot of comps in there to their players. Oh, and yeah, that's it, what they use it for. So April 8, 9, and 10, it's going to be an evening with Priscilla Presley. She just did a PSA for it at her hotel uh, saying about the thing. And so that's I, that's new. Are, are you? I, I, we were talking earlier on our last show. Did you, because now that you're talking about old acts, <laughs> Are you booking Dion Warwick into Vegas? No, that's a guy. That's um, I'll think of his name in a minute. I just booked her just before the pandemic. I think I, I mentioned it to you, if you remember. She did a date for me in, in uh, Upper New York with her full band, and she did a very, very good job. And uh, but no, that's a, that's another guy, uh, Joe Joe Batting, a guy named Joe Batting. Because she said that she was on Colbert, and I just watched it out of curiosity. Everybody called me. You know where she's working, though, right? No. She's not working in a hotel. I know. She's the the, uh, the condominium, that uh, the one in Florida, the, the same. It's in Vegas. The, the, as attorney, um, you know, the, the, the most famous. No, I know uh, them well. They're all cross. I lived in them. They're yeah. Right, yeah. She's working, in, uh, and it's a high-ticket price, but it's a small audience. They're building a little room. They're building a little room. She says it's a residency, and then when she told me it was a Sterling Club, I almost fell off the off my couch the other night. We were just talking about it, Pat and I. And then Wayne Newton, I work with Wayne Newton in Humperdinck. Wayne Newton just started opening up. She just he started again at the uh, Flamingo Hotel, and he started there with his brother Jerry Newton. But he but he sings he sings with tracks, don't he now? No, really? he's got his band back. He's got the band. He's and in he there can with still his band. sing? Yes, he does. <laughs> Next. But, but not good. <laughs> he, he gets a standing ovation two or three times a show for being an entertainer. He's a great entertainer. And I, um, But can the people in his audience stand to give it to him? That's what I'm wondering. What they have corrective <laughs> stockings? He, he and, legitimately gets... Two or three standing as being a showman. You know, the voice wasn't what it was, but when you see Frankie Valley out there and people like that, they're, they're, their voices aren't what they But at least it's them. Right. You know, it's yeah. not a tribute. At least it's the real. And there's not many left of them. I still work with Humperdinck. He does a great job. Oh, Humperdinck, I Tom love Jones. I saw him last year down in, uh, we both work resorts because of, of the, uh, the uh, Mohegan Sun. He's, yeah, he's still got Tom a great Trump. show. Engelberg oh, yeah, still, he does. An elegant show, show right? Yeah. Very and, uh, classy and good voice. His voice is yeah. phenomenal, yeah. And Tom Jones is still doing I worked with Tom Jones about two and a half years ago in, uh, two and a half, in Michigan uh, because he very rarely does dates in the United States anymore. He used to be in the United States for 55 years doing dates, dates, dates. Oh, yeah. Now he very, very rarely does a date in the U.S. It's it's the whole world. And he's still, he's still got it. He's still right on it. Oh no, they, they, those those guys. I mean, that they they live and breathe that, you know. Yeah, I do too. But I mean, you do too. Who you? Not you me. Do, you live for what you do. You love the action. You love showbiz. You like conversation. Yeah, but you I like turn. I love I love showbiz, but I'm not going to now go out 
and jeopardize my health. I mean, I, I, you know, I saved my money. These well, that's people- why I sent the check to Marie Osmond. I didn't go. I didn't want to be a. I didn't want to be on a plane on the sixteenth of uh, uh, January, um, going on a plane. And now you can't get direct flights too easy. You know, it's nine hours to get there. You go to rehearsal. You do the show. You come back the next day. It's a nine and a half. I thought to myself, in a plane in a tube, nine hours. I, I want to wait another month, and then I'll start going out again. Then I'll go out do. I got Smokey Robinson in March. Like I said, I got uh, Terry Bradshaw. I've got uh, Mark. But, but Terry Bradshaw, are you talking about the guy, the football one? The announcer? football guy. The football guy. It's amazing to me. He's going to show with backup girl singers. And it's stories and it's singing and it's it's goofing around. He's going to be him. And then I'm doing, uh, you know, the Temptations and the Four Tops the next month. Well, they and, always uh, go. Those, the, yeah, the, together. The, the, that kind of stuff, you know, that. So. that. There's, there's more dates now because there's more casinos and more corporate dates. There's more places. But the money's less. Huh? The money's got to be a lot less. You know what else? The top of the mountain making a lot more. The, the mainstream personality, they're having a tough time. But if you're if you're one of the bigger names like Smokey Robinson, um, Engelbert Humperdinck, Tom Jones, um, you still make you're, you're make because as as they as the performers are dying from that era, your your stature rises because if you want somebody from a certain level, and and then a lot of them are dying, then you you move up the ladder. That and makes sense. Now, if you're at the top, what a time to be a superstar! People like Adele and the Celine Dion and Rod Stewart and and Cher, even though they're up there. They're picking up money like vacuum cleaners around the, not just here, around the world, as you know. Remember, you did a show out of the country not too long ago. They paid you a nice uh, amount of money. Oh, no, yeah, no. I mean, that, but when you do some of these private shows or Rod Stewart's, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones are, are just made an insane amount of money from 16 shows or something like that. Insane money. Yeah, but I mean, they're big recording artists also. I mean, there's a whole history there. No, I, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, no, I mean, it, what what my, my whole situation was, I still remember you as that kid coming over my house. And I'm still the same guy. Oh, you are, <laughs> definitely are. And I mean, we, it's and you come to my house once or twice a year yet. Yeah, no, I love going here. I, we've been he coming comes up here, Pat. I love, he I he love comes to this dining room here yet with his wife. I Easy. see the dining room. <laughs> you know, I can see myself having the martini sitting at your chair. You, you sit at the other chair. You make the best pasta, best sauce, the best. It, it's it's a love affair. Your family, uh, you're still the same guy. You've always been wonderful and loving to people, not just me. Everybody says the same thing. They love you because you're so good to people. You you don't you don't run when somebody says hello. I enjoyed your work. Other stars just say I enjoyed your work. It's like get it away from me. You've always been good to people. You must be hanging around with Pacino. Huh? <laughs> That's Pacino. I met Pacino at the Tropicana, and they were filming Godfather Two, and he had a green farmer's hat on, and I spot him. And I said, Mister Pacino, I said I'm looking for the the trailers outside because I know you're still a little bit more taping here. And I'm trying to see if there's any jobs for background performers. And he says, go around the corner here in the trailers in the parking lot. But I think we're pretty much done wrap, but then we might have another day or two. I went back there and it was too late. But the next thing that came up was the Charlie's Angels with Dean Martin. And I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna not do that. So I talked my way into that and I, I got my screen. Well, you could talk your way anywhere. I mean, I, you know, yeah. we're, we're finding that out right now. We're doing 35 minutes on, on oh George, would I be putting you on the spot if I was to ask you who your favorite client is or was? Um, well, that's easy. It's uh, it's Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Um, if that wasn't for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, I wouldn't be in the business. Um, really? Gianni, I can't say anything about Gianni. Gianni's like family. Oh, no, I'm not, no. Don't even include me that. That's but you're like family. You yeah. really are. And we, and we talked about that. I feel that way about you. And you've always been that way to me. But I, I would say Dean Martin and Jerry was the team. I remember the second I decided to become in this business. I was watching a scene out of a film that they did called The Stooge. And in it, Dean Martin had got rid of Jerry Lewis. They were playing themselves like a, like a nightclub performer. And Dean Martin was bombing in this scene in the movie of The Stooge. And then just then, Jerry Lewis yells something out of the audience. 
who's your little Hoosier? Who's your turtle dove? And it was such a loving, warm, and he runs up on stage, and they get back together, and they finish with a big number. And that second, I said, I'm going to do something. In sh- I don't know what I'm going to do in show business, but I'm going to do something in show business. So I helped put together a little bit the memorial for Jerry Lewis when he died. Uh, I brought Pat Cooper out and Emily. They they got married, and they, they send their love, by the way, Gianni. And I brought out Connie Stevens and Jolie Fisher. But and where I, and where was it. the memorial? It was at the South Point Hotel in the in the showroom where Jerry Lewis. Oh, that's right, because he he moved born. out there when he had the baby. He has a, a a child out there, right? A girl. He he he, re, he, he Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, he he. Well, he's Jerry's been living in Vegas for a long time. I know that, but I mean, I left a long time ago. I remember no, I he moved it, there with this woman and had a baby. Was it? Yeah, kids got to be forty years old now. <laughs> A girl named Sandy Picnic. In fact, when I was working at the Sarah Country Club in the 70s, he invited me to fly out, send me a big letter, sign it. I want you to be in this movie, Hardly Working. That's where he met Sandy Picnic, and they got they met each other, and he bought a, uh, one of those those uh, Cadillac opera coupes with the wheels on the side. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. And oh, um, he met her there. They got married. He, bought, he came back to Vegas, and he moved to this Las Vegas Country Club, and he had a yacht at... Uh, behind the Marriott Hotel in San Diego. So I got to I got to know Jerry pretty well. Like I said, there's a lot of rough stories. and But Dean, I got to meet Dean uh, when I did the film, and I started talking to him a little bit on the set. And then uh, what, the, the person who hired me was kind of waving me off. He says, during the, the, Stop when they cut talking stores, to him. please don't talk to Dean. He goes, not because you can't talk to him. He's not above it. But he's, I guess I could say this, he's been drinking a little bit and we don't know, we don't want to, yeah. we don't know where he's at. Or, so, so, but I already said, I, the last thing I said to him, I said, let's get out of here and get some rigatoni and a glass of wine. He smiled. He said a couple words. That was it. I never said another word during that. But later on, I got to know because uh, I knew him a little bit. You couldn't, you couldn't get to know him too well because he didn't give anybody their time. He, gave was me very, my, very, he gave me a lot of time. If he likes well, you different, well, we spent so much time together. Yeah, well, you he had a lot of respect for you. Yeah. Uh, but when I, I used to see him at an Italian restaurant, I used to go to uh, often in Beverly Hills called La Familia. I know and, well. On Cannon Drive. And my buddy Patty owned it, a guy named Joe Patty. I would go to with Telly Savalas, have dinner. I would go with Maury Amsterdam, have dinner. We'd sit at a booth. Dean would always have his booth. On the way out, Dean would have a drink in his hand, a cigarette in the other hand, I'd be standing next to him with 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 Dean and, and and Maury. Maury right next to him. Maury would tell a joke, and then after the joke was done, Dean would kind of lightly shove him out of the way like a joke, and just blow smoke up in the air with the cigar, a cigarette, and go, "Hey, Pally," and that was it. He was done. There was no way it was time to go. <laughs> he wasn't going to ask you to sit down at the booth. Oh no, no, but, no, um, no. But I love Dean, and I love Jerry. So, uh, in answer to your question. Uh, th- th- those were my number one influences. Well, well, thank you. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we are we going to start 30, the show now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thirty-five minutes went awfully quick. All right, buddy. Thank you. Well, very thank much. you so much. I love really you. Tell a story, buddy. Thank you for having me on. I, I hope I, I hope I, I didn't have a chance to say anything. It just went so fast. Also, thank you. A pleasure to meet you. Um, and um, if you ever need me to do more, I'm right here. Uh, continued good health. I'll see you for dinner at your house soon. All right, please. All right, thank Thank you. you, Thank you, Joe. Thank you. We'll be right back. We're going to make some money, and we're going to go to the mailbag. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are in paperback and are available on Amazon.com. I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. All right, we're back. Let's talk. Let's find out who's sending us mail today, Pat. Okay, the mailbag. Uh, we've got the first one is from Sebastian. Did, well, this guy gets right to the point. Did Frank Costello ever kill anyone? Do you know who he killed, if anyone? Sebastian tends to repeat himself a bit. Here, I mean, is this guy yeah, yeah. nuts? <laughs> That's a question? That's a question. I'm sorry I can't answer that. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't answer that. Well, you know, like I went, whenever anybody asks me that question, I say, I don't know, but I heard he hurt somebody's feelings once. 
He had what? You know, he hurt somebody's feelings once. <laughs> he hurt somebody. That, that, we we can't talk about we can't talk about dead people here who uh you know whose end came uh, at the hands of someone else. Right. That's uh, that's not nice. Anyway, moving on from Eric Gianni. What is your favorite memory of The Godfather? Being in it. <laughs> there you go. So uh, this was started the path that you're on now. It's just still. I mean, it's still. It's a gift it's that never stops giving. It's 52 years. Very much part of your life. Yeah. Okay, from uh, from Jeannie. Maybe this is my friend Jeannie from Utah. Okay, hi, everyone. Just a quick note to say how much I look forward to your podcast each week. I'm looking forward to hearing all those rap songs when they come out. Oh, that's wild. It's great. But Gianni, uh, I love your stories about Las Vegas uh, and the good old days. Were you ever friends with Tom Jones? We just got finished talking about him. I, I grew up listening to him and Engelbert Humperdinck and wonder if you have any stories about them as well. If there are some, uh, I would love you to share them with us. I have a classic story that most people don't know. Um, they were managed by the same guy, and I won't mention his name, but Tom was going to be at the Copacabana, and they got involved somehow with the wrong guy that booked them, and they kidnapped Tom Jones for about four hours on a Saturday really? night because <laughs> the guy wouldn't pay the ransom. So then finally the guy went to see Carmine, and Carmine put them on the phone with somebody, and they brought Tom Jones right away back. <laughs> That's never been publicized, right? No. Yeah, it was publicized for a minute in New York. It was all over the radio. Well, you heard it here a second, folks. Hello. All right. From Steph. Hi, Gianni. I, uh, I noticed you sitting beside Dion Warwick at the Variety Club. Also, uh, the, the Variety Club All-Star Party for Ronald Reagan in 1985. What was that night like? Uh, you, you can find the show on YouTube. So she was at the, uh, at the party for uh, Reagan. This Steph person. No, we were, we were all at that party. That was a, a birthday. Oh, no, that was a different party. Because the other party, Sinatra hosted. No, I mean, she was, I mean, I, I, I managed her for 15 years. The company was called December 12th. She was born December 12th. Sinatra was born December 12th. And then I was. So we had a corporation called December 12th, an entertainment company. And you can, you, you might add, if you want to hear more about the Dionne Warwick, Read our book. We have some funny stories. There. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Okay, from Jeff. Hi, Patrick. You mentioned a few shows ago about the large amount of French Connection heroin that disappeared from the NYPD evidence room. Was Sonny Grasso ever a suspect? Great show, and thanks to you all. I tell you, if Sonny Grasso, if it even crossed his mind to steal those drugs, everybody in the world knew what Sonny Grasso looked like. Hello. And he could not walk into the NYPD uh, property clerk and walk out with 22 kilos of heroin, even if he thought about doing I, it. I still think of that, that story. I can't believe how they moved that much heroin out of there. There was no... Well, every time you make any t kind of an arrest, everything is vouchered in the NYPD uh, uh, property room. The problem was there was never any security there. You went in, you, 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 you flashed your shield, didn't have to show your ID card flashed your shield and said, I'm here to pick up, and you gave the evidence. Well, in this case, the uh, the uh, people that were arrested during the French Connection case were coming to trial, so they had to produce all the evidence. So this guy says, hey, I'm going to walk in there and say I'm, I'm on my way to the, to the trial. I'm going to sign out the heroin. Phony name, phony everything. They had no cameras. But didn't it nothing. take a while? How could you carry all that out one time? I don't. I don't know how many keys there were, but there were a lot. Yeah. Maybe he, had a, or maybe he wheeled it out of there. Who knows? The thing was, they let him go, and they never found the heroin. They never found the perp. They never found no. anything. And Ever the name, then, the name that he was using was when they got the real guy. They matched it. It wasn't even his signature. No, no, it was a phony guy. He just, you know, mentioned any detective's name that was involved in the case. All I you had to do was it. open up. All you had to do was open up any newspaper. I guess the they tightened up that those uh, rooms now where they keep all the evidence, don't they? It is like it is like Fort Knox. 
I was going to say. All kinds of evidence you have. How to embarrassing! Up. Millions and millions of dollars of heroin. Oh, uh, yeah, and they. Uh, it, that's that's a classic unsolved crime. They never, you know, talk about embarrassed. Hello. It was humiliating more than anything else. I mean, everybody was a suspect. They figured a cop did it because he knew the ins yeah, and outs. He knew the ins and outs. But they it. went through every picture that at the time there were forty eight thousand cops in the job. There are now thirty six thousand. But uh, the the uh, uh, the property clerk who was a cop, uh, uh, you know, a sworn police officer, he had to look at all these pictures. I'm thinking after a while, everybody begins to look alike. You look at 48,000 pictures. But anyway, uh, one of the classic unsolved cases in the NYPD. Okay, from James. Gianni, I've never been to New York City and will be making a trip this spring. Seeing as how you uh, lived there a long time, what are the must-dos? What are the what? What do you do when you're in New York? What would you have to do as a tourist? Well, I'll tell you right now, if you have to ask me, don't come to New York. <laughs> Go someplace else. What he's probably looking for are the, are the things that your average tourist wouldn't know. I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, I always recommend people go to Mulberry Street, wander around. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the same thing. If you want to go somewhere where, where you, you, you're not going to be overwhelmed by tourists and get COVID, uh, you know, Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building, all these are tourist traps. Go to the old neighborhoods. Yeah. Go to Greenwich Go to even off the Avenue. They off really, the Avenue in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, they really clean that up. I mean, they do really a, a great job. You're going to see the real New York with real New Yorkers, not people waiting to take and the money. And good food. And good food. Yeah, I would go to the old neighborhoods. Greenwich Village, uh, uh, Little Italy, Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, off the Avenue in the Bronx. That's another Little Italy. Uh, Queens is a... Uh, uh, in the Flushing area is another Chinatown. That's the real New York. Okay. Uh, from Gary, Gianni and Patrick, what uh, are you most looking forward to this year? Well, we've got so many things. Oh, my God. Go ahead. I mean, we have, are you pointed out, we got about six major things that are happening in our lives directly and indirectly. Well, if, if we take them in order, I would say the rap album first. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm working very diligently now with the Cordelion Fine Italian Foods because we're cross marketing uh, anniversary gift boxes for the film, and Paramount's been very generous in helping us there. I mean, we're, we're, there's so much going on. I mean, I've never been so busy in my life right now. It's like crazy. So it's uh, not many people say that. I know. I mean, you've been around a long time. Usually, you know, uh, celebrities, everybody knows this, a celebrity tends to wane after a while. You're just getting warmed up. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I keep, I keep really. promoting things, you know. You're turning things down. Okay, from Linda. Gianni, how often uh, are you doing public engagements with your fans these days? Uh, I know it's so hard with COVID, but I would love to meet you someday. Well, just follow us on here and you'll know where I'll be soon. But um, you're right, because COVID, I've been very um, careful because, again, you know, I, I don't want to become a victim. And people are dropping like flies, and I'm very much aware of that. And uh, I'm creating things like a podcast where I don't have to meet people. And I go to the studio and do rap albums where I don't have to meet people and of course, most 79-year-olds do that on their time off. Yeah. <laughs> Rap songs. And we're writing books. And we're doing a lot of things. Doing a lot of stuff. Which brings us to the next question. This is for you, Gianni, from Marcus. Uh, what are some of your favorite pieces of clothing from your line? And what can we ex uh, expect it to be up and ready to be purchased? Well, unfortunately, the line, you're going to see it for the spring because we couldn't get deliveries like anybody else and everybody else. And we lost a lot of wardrobe, basically, because of the winter. We lost Christmas, and so now, uh, you know, it's a very chic clothing line, but inexpensive, believe it or not. There's nothing what do you like? What's your favorite out of the entire line, uh, Marcus wants to know, if you have a favorite? Well, I, I like my blazers, all of them. There's, we do six blazers a season. 
and they're under two hundred fifty dollars a blazer. So that's that's when I say they, you know they're inexpensive but classic. And so classic clothes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Marcus. And uh, last but not least, from Don Gianni, how do you plan on celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of the Godfather? I'm I'm doing about ten things already so far. They're inviting me here and there, and I'm going. And, and doing a lot of TV shows, fortunately, which I like doing. And I love talking about that film because that film changed my life. I don't even know who I'd be without The Godfather. That's a good question. In fact, that could be one of our, uh, one of the uh, entries in the, in, in the fiction series. What happened to you later in life? This, this, this is a, 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 a fantasy plot. If that book had, would have never come along. Think yeah, about it. It's crazy. Yeah. The book and the movie. Yep. Okay, folks. Uh, that's it for the mailbag. No, I'll tell you what. Pat, always a great show. We miss Megan. Yep. And uh, keep the cards and letters coming in. We need your support. We need everything that you've been giving us. We're going into our fourth year. And we love doing it. God bless you all, and uh, stay safe. Good night, Johnny. Good night, pal. Woo! If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Tell me and I'll be around I'll be around